Well, today we continue our sermon series, Fear No Evil. Each week in this sermon series, we're looking at where fear comes from, what fear does in our hearts and our souls and our lives, and what God can do when we let go of fear. We're going to continue today with a, a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen now as Grace shares God's words with us. Good morning, church family. The scripture reading today is going to be coming from Matthew 10, 5-14, and I'm going to be reading the NIV version. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So years and years ago, Way back when I first started serving as a pastor, I was appointed to three little country churches way out in Shiawassee County. I loved those churches. I met some of the best and most faithful people in those churches. The people in those congregations taught me a lot about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a pastor. I was so grateful that God had sent me out there to meet those people and to become part of their communities. I was so glad that the bishop had sent me to those three little country churches. The only time I wasn't glad to be there was on winter Sunday mornings when the roads were icy and the snow was falling down. Because you see, I preached at all three of those congregations every Sunday morning. The first service at the first church started at 9 a.m., the second service at the second church started at 10 a.m. And the third service at the third church started, I wonder if you can guess, yes, it was at 11 a.m. And there was a 10-minute drive in between each of those churches. And what that means is that our Sunday morning routine had to be timed right down to the minute. At the second and the third congregation, they actually started worship without me. And, and I would walk in the back door of the church just as the children were being called forward for the children's time. I would shrug off my coat and walk right to the front of the church and sit down and start talking to the kids and share a, a children's message with the children. It was a clockwork operation. And the, the clockwork of the operation all depended on two things happening every Sunday. It depended on me keeping the sermon short and it depended on me making it from one church to the next in no more than 10 minutes. If I was even 11 minutes driving from one church to the next, that meant that the children were going to be sitting down in front of the sanctuary on the floor awkwardly waiting and having nobody to talk to. And most Sundays it wasn't hard for me to make it from one church to the next in, in just 10 minutes, except, except for those Sundays in winter when the roads were icy and the snow was falling down. On those Sundays, I, I white-knuckled it on the steering wheel and I prayed hard. I prayed, I prayed that I wouldn't end up in a ditch and not be able to make it to the next church. That was my nightmare. My nightmare back in those early days of pastoring was that one Sunday morning, I was gonna end up in a ditch and not gonna be able to make it to the next church. And then 
of course, it happened. One Sunday morning, I was speeding my way from one church to the next when all of a sudden the, the tires lost, lost their grip on the, on the road and my car started to spin. My car spun into a complete 360 degree turn and then it went into another 180 degree spin and then I slid sideways and backwards right into a great big snowbank. Well, I took a second to check and make sure that I was intact and I, I took a second to look around and see that the car was intact and then I took a moment to thank God for the fact that I had slid into a great big snowbank and not into a ditch or, or into a great big tree. And then I took a deep breath and I started the car again and I, I put on the gas. I put the car in gear and I tried to drive out of that great big snowbank. And that's when I discovered that I was stuck. I mean, I was stuck. I got out of the car and walked around the car just to double check and make sure. And sure enough, I was well and truly stuck. And that was a problem. Because back in those days, I didn't have a cell phone. And so I didn't have any way of calling for help. I couldn't call AAA. I couldn't call a farmer with a tractor from one of the congregations to come and rescue me. I couldn't even call the next church to let them know that I wasn't gonna be there when worship started. I didn't have any way of reaching out to let anybody know where I was or what had happened. And I was on a little country back road on a Sunday morning when the snow was coming down and all of the roads were icy. And I knew there was probably no chance anybody was gonna drive past for the next hour or so. I knew that I was stuck with no way, no way of finding help. And so I sat there in my car and I did the only thing that I could think to do. I prayed. I said, God, I could sure use a miracle right about now. And then God sent a miracle. Uh, just down the road and back in the woods a ways, there was a, a little house. And, and as I was sitting there in my car, I watched a man come out the front door of the house. And he walked over to a pickup truck. He got in the pickup truck, drove down his long driveway, drove up the road to where I was. He parked his truck right in front of my car, hopped out of the truck, ran around to the front of the truck and started pulling out a tow cable that was attached to the front of his pickup truck. He attached the tow cable to the front of my car, ran back into the cab of his pickup truck and started pulling. He pulled and he pulled and he tugged until suddenly my car came sliding right out of that snowbank. As soon as my car started moving, he jumped back out of his truck, ran around to the front of his pickup truck, detached the cable, got back into his truck and drove down the road and back up the driveway to his house. That was the whole of our interaction. That whole time that he was helping me, he didn't say a word to me and I didn't say a word to him. As he was pulling me out of that snowbank, he didn't even not once make eye contact with me. I never had a chance to thank him. Well, I drove on to worship and I made it to the next church in time. Don't ask me how, it's better that you don't know. And then a couple days later, I went back to the man's house to, to thank him for what he had done, to thank you for being a good Samaritan. I, I knocked on the door, but he wasn't home, so I left a note and a plate of cookies. I think about that man from time to time. I think about how he wasn't in church that Sunday morning. And it ended up being a good thing for me that he wasn't in church that Sunday morning. I wonder who he was and I wonder what motivated him. What was it that made him run out of his house into the cold to, to rescue a stranger without even waiting for a word of thanks? What was it that compelled him to do this, this deed of generosity and, and selflessness? I wonder sometimes, what, what was his story? What made him do it? 
Now, I wonder sometimes what kind of a relationship did he have with God? Did he pray? Did he hear God's voice? Did he feel God's presence? Was it God who reached into his heart that morning, made him look out the window, notice somebody in need of help, move him to run down the steps and hop into his pickup truck? I wonder, I wonder how God was present in his life. One of the things that I love about being a Methodist is this idea that we have that God is present in every person's life. One of the things that I love about being a Methodist is this idea we have that God is speaking to every person, that God is nudging every person towards goodness and kindness and generosity and mercy, that God doesn't wait for us to become Methodists. God doesn't wait for us to become Christians. God doesn't wait for us to become any kind of a believer at all before God begins planting seeds of goodness and generosity and kindness in our hearts. I love, I love this idea that we have as Methodists that that God is at work all around us. And if we're paying close attention, we will see signs of God's presence and God's grace in plenty of unexpected places and even in unexpected people. And I'm not saying this morning that I can prove that Jesus was a Methodist. What I do wanna share with you this morning is that in today's gospel reading, Jesus is sharing a very similar sort of an idea with his disciples. In today's gospel reading, we find Jesus at a turning point in his ministry. Now, Jesus has been traveling from place to place. He's been proclaiming the good news of God's love. He's been healing the sick and raising the dead. And Jesus has been working hard, but no matter how hard Jesus works, there is always more and more work to be done. The crowds of people coming to Jesus for healing just keep getting bigger and bigger. And one day the gospel tells us Jesus looks out over a huge crowd of people who have come to him to hear about God's love and to seek God's presence and to find God's healing. Jesus looks out over that crowd and the gospel tells us he had compassion for the people in the crowd because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in that moment, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, pray that God will send more workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That night, Jesus went to bed and, and he slept that night. And in his dreams, he saw the faces of all of those, those harassed and helpless people. And he woke up the next morning and he gathered his disciples together. And then Jesus made an announcement. He said to the disciples, he said, I have decided that we will be able to cover more ground if we split up. And so Jesus said, I am sending you out into the world and I want you to do what you have seen me doing. I want you to proclaim the good news of God's love to anyone who will listen. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. Jesus gives the disciples their mission and then he gives them instructions. He says, and this is how I want you to go on this journey. Jesus says, I don't want you to take any money, no silver, no gold, no copper, no bronze. And I don't want you to take a bag, Jesus says, because you won't have anything to put in it anyway. Don't take an extra change of clothes. Don't bring an extra coat. Don't bring an extra pair of shoes. Only the sandals on your feet and the clothes on your backs. Take nothing more than that and your faith on this journey. I wonder how the disciples felt when Jesus told them that they weren't allowed to bring anything except the clothes on their backs as they departed on this journey, as they went off on their mission. I know how I would have felt. 
Now, one of the things that, that you might know about me is that I love to travel. One of the things that you don't know that only my wife knows about me is that even though I love to travel, travel and taking long journeys makes me anxious and fearful and nervous. I'm that guy who wants to show up at the airport eight hours before my flight departs. I'm the guy who is constantly pulling my ticket out of my pocket and checking to make sure that I'm, I'm in front of the right gate so I won't miss my flight when it takes off. I'm the guy who is always afraid that I'm suddenly going to need something and I'm not going to have it. And, and I have this terrifying fear of, of needing a thing and not having a thing when I need the thing. So I'm constantly packing more and more things for our trips. I'm the guy who packs three blue jeans for a two-day vacation. I'm the guy who packs an extra pair of socks for every day we're gonna be traveling because because I could possibly step in a puddle every single day and need a new pair of socks. I, I'm the kind of guy who, who packs a credit card for the things that I forgot to pack and then a backup credit card just in case that one gets stolen and then a backup credit card just in case the backup credit card doesn't work. I, I'm the guy who overpacks for every trip. And, and not only that, not only that, I, I have to confess, and I'm going to be really, really real with you. It's not just when I'm traveling that I do this. The truth is I'm a little bit of a pack rat. And that's a terrible habit for a Methodist pastor to get into. Because Methodist pastors move around a lot. The last thing we need is to be hauling boxes and boxes full of things we don't need from parsonage to parsonage. You know, my wife and I have been married for 20 years and in those 20 years we have moved six times and still we have boxes and boxes filled with stuffed animals and toys from my childhood that I haven't been able to let go of because you never know when one of my kids or one of my grandkids might want one or fall in love with one or need one. We have boxes filled with obsolete technologies like VHS players and, and Palm Pilot uh, PDAs because you never know when one of those is going to come back into style. We have boxes and boxes filled with cables that don't even attach to any of the appliances in our house because you never know when we're suddenly going to try to hook something up and discover that we don't have the right cable and then we will have a great big cable of boxes that just, just might have the very cable that we need. I, I have a hard time letting go of things. I, I have a tendency to put my trust in things and the more things I have in my boxes, the more things I have in my suitcase, the less, the less anxiety I feel, the less fear I feel. And, and there's a good chance that I'm not the only one who feels that way. There's a good chance that, that you can relate to everything that I just said. Because the truth is you and I, we live in a culture that teaches us to value things. We live in a culture that teaches us to put our trust in things. We live in a culture that teaches us that if we only have enough things, then we will never be in want, we will never be in need, we will never, never have to be afraid. And we have believed what our culture has told us. We have so many things that we can't even fit all of the things that we own inside of our, of our houses. Did you know that there are now enough rental storage units in America that every man and woman and child in America could take shelter under the roofs of those storage units if for some reason a calamity happened and every other building in America was destroyed except for the rental storage units? We have learned to put our trust in things. 
We have learned to, to channel our fear into boxes and storage units and suitcases full of things. And so there's a good chance that if we had been standing there on that morning as Jesus gave the disciples his instructions, we would have started feeling anxious about the idea of going on a journey with nothing in our pockets without even a bag across our backs. Maybe the disciples felt that way too. Maybe the disciples wondered as they listened to Jesus giving them their instructions, maybe they wondered how will we take care of ourselves? What will we eat? Where will we sleep? And maybe Jesus saw those questions in their eyes because before they could even ask those questions, Jesus gave them the answer. He said, wherever you go, look for the kind-hearted and generous people. Wherever you go, look for people with open hearts and open doors. Wherever you go, look for the people who, who show signs that God's grace has been working among them. Look for those people who are willing to take you in and then accept their hospitality as a gift from God. Eat at their tables, sleep in their guest bedrooms. And Jesus says, if you come to a village where no one is willing to receive you, if you come to a village where every door and every heart is locked to you and to your message, then Jesus says, walk on out of that village, shake the dust off your sandals, and keep on walking. Because somewhere, somewhere down the road, you're going to find someone, you're going to find some place where God has been at work and where God's grace is evident and where God has planted seeds that are springing forth in kindness and mercy and generosity. I'm sending you out with nothing, Jesus teaches his disciples, so you can discover that it is better to be rich in community than it is to be rich in things. I'm sending you out with nothing, Jesus is teaching his disciples, so you can discover that for those who trust in God, there will always be generosity and compassion and signs of God's grace and mercy, even in unexpected places, even from unexpected people. What is one step we can take this week to be a little richer in community and to put a little less trust in things? Let's pray. God, we pray that you would reach into our hearts, reach in as only you can, and take away from us this fear that we have, this fear that makes us store up things we don't need in boxes. This thing that makes us pack too much for our journeys. This thing that makes us so very afraid that we will someday need a thing when we don't need a thing. God, we pray. God, we pray that you would fill our lives and fill our journeys with good Samaritans, with kind-hearted strangers with tow cables on their pickup trucks. God, we pray that you would fill our lives and fill our journeys with community, with generosity, with compassion. And God, give us a chance this week to be that stranger for someone else. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.